The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Is it possible for a ghost to be so powerful they can make you cease to exist? Now we hop aboard a school bus to take a look at a bizarre experience of a 7th grader. One day while riding home on the school bus, they looked out the window and saw something that defies explanation. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. We got a ton of stuff to cover, so we got to get started right away. First off, walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone get on your feet and give a big round of applause for S.E. Woohoo, yeah, come on in, buddy. Walk on into Dead Rabbit Command, do a little fancy spin. Because you're a show-off. Essie, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. I do. Just help spread the word about the show. That really, really, really helps out a lot. Now, we have a ton of stuff to cover, but I do have to give a little bit of announcements. First off, this is the end of Season 19. This week is the end of Season 19. After this, I'm going to take a break until December 1st. However, I invite all of you guys to join me. On November 24th, that is a Thanksgiving, November 24th at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for the annual Dead Rabbit Radio Thanksgiving live stream. Meet us over on YouTube. This is the reason why I stopped posting on YouTube, because they were getting ready to take the channel down because they hate the podcast. But I wanted to be able to keep doing these live streams and the YouTube shorts and all that stuff. And so I really would appreciate if you guys came out here. And spent, instead of hanging out with your family, spend it with us. Now, I'm putting it early enough in the day that I think most people could join us. And if not, it really is just, you know, I know how lonely the hol- the holidays gets. So I thought it would be really cool for us to hang out together. If you can't make it, that's totally fine. But check us out on the YouTube channel. I'll put the link, the YouTube link in the show notes. November 24th, 2022, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dead Rabbit Radio Thanksgiving livestream special. If you guys can't be there, totally understand. You'll be there in spirit. Whether you want to or not, I'm going to reach through the astral world and suck your souls into this live stream. Your relatives are like, hey, uh, why are you so quiet? Why are you just standing around in the corner of the room? It's Thanksgiving. Come and have a seat. You can't. Your soul belongs to me. S.E. Let's go ahead. That sounded threatening. <laughs> it actually sounded mildly threatening. Actually, it sounded more than mildly threatening. S.E., let's go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command, jump off the highest point, and glide us all the way out to a shopping mall. I saw a movie the other day called Hex. It was about a haunted... I, I, I don't even know how anyone would come up with this topic. It was a store. It was a movie about these um, parachuter people. What are they called? Skydivers. 
And they're like, I probably should just get started with the episode. I'm actually not feeling that well. But uh, let's just prolong this episode a little bit. This is the last of the week. I watched this movie recently about these uh, haunted skydivers. They were, this is fantastic, this fantastic plot. The movie wasn't very good, but it was about these skydivers who they're like, they meet this new girl. They find this new skydiving girl. They're like, you you dive alone? And she's like, yeah, I've always dived alone since my dad died skydiving or something like that. And they go, well, you know what? Quit being such a good oh, you're, you're poor dad's dead. <laughs> Why don't you come and join us as we go skydiving? Let's do this. And so she goes skydiving with them. And they said, you know what we should do now that we have six people in our skydiving group? We should do the hex. And people are like, oh, no, not the hex. And the hex is a, <laughs> it's a sky, it's not real. I don't think so. I'm, I'd get kind of scared. It's, it takes six people. It's a haunted skydiving maneuver. So they're like, dude, let's do the hex. It'll be so cool. And people will be like, you can't do the hex. Every time someone does the hex, they die. And not because it's so difficult, because it's like magical, <laughs> because it's this magical cursed parachuting maneuver and then it's so funny so they all go up in this airplane you could tell basically what the movie was it was very well made like like cinematography was good they had really good cameras and stuff like that but you could tell it was basically someone owned someone owned a skydiving school and they said hey let's make a horror movie that takes place in broad daylight ten thousand feet in the air and so they do the hex and like one guy's in the middle, <laughs> one guy's in the middle of this circle of people and they're falling. Then all of a sudden he dematerializes. He just disappears in front of them. And they're like, Randy, no, Randy, where'd you go, Randy? And then <laughs> they still have to fall like another 9,000 feet, right? You see this guy simply cease to exist in front of you. And they all land. And then the movie, I was like, what in the world? They're like, where did Randy go? Where did Randy go? Did he pull his chute early? No, he dematerialized. You were looking right at him. He just disappeared. He stopped existing. They're like, maybe he pulled his chute. Well, then where is he? Well, maybe his chute failed. And then they get investigated by the police. And they're like, you got to find our friend Randy, man. He's missing. He must have like parachuted away. He must have had one of those new dematerializing parachutes that the Predator sold him. They go to the police, and the police are investigating it, and they're like, you kids are crazy. You just can't disappear in the thin air, literally, because the air is thin up there. And they're like, no, Randy's gone. And they're like, are you sure about that? And then they see the helmet cam footage of them parachuting down, and there was only five people up there. So Randy never existed. Or something like that. I'm not fully aware. That was... That was that was when I kind of started checking out. I was like, ah, I don't know about this movie. And then the movie kept going on and on. And then, spoiler alert, in case you're planning on watching Hex, it turned out that there is... <laughs> this is so funny. I just need to get started with the episode. But I want to tell someone about this movie. No one that I know wants to hear me talk about Hex. So I'm making you... It turns out that a, <laughs> a parachute person, like a master skydiver made a deal with the devil, and the devil gave him a, a cursed altometer, you know, that thing that tells how high you are? The devil gave him a cursed altometer. And this device makes the old, grizzled skydiving coach immortal. 
he can't die, which would probably be pretty probably be a pretty neat trick if you were skydiving all the time. You're like not releasing your parachute at all. You're like, ha, 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 ha. people are like, oh my god, Joe, you're gonna die. And then he hits the ground. And there's like a puff of smoke from a Roadrunner cartoon. And then you get down there, and he's like, T, anybody? And they're like, wait, wait, no, you just fell 30,000 feet, and you didn't open your parachute. It'd be pretty, it would be a great skill for a skydiver. It'd also be super suspicious. When you're like, uh, how come that guy never dies? How come he does all this crazy stuff? He's all landing on his head intentionally. He's like, ta-da! You're like, what? Let me see your altometer. Is it cursed? And then it had something to do with the girl... Like the entire movie took place in a comp- it was this was interesting. Ah, never mind. I'm done talking about it. Once I get to the interesting part, I heard it. I got bored. I was like, the whole movie took place like in three minutes or something like that. It was kind of an occurrence. Owl Creek Bridge. She was trapped. She died in the plane crash. They didn't even get to do the hex. The plane crashed or blew up or something like that, and. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I kind of lost interest somewhere in between the guy dematerializing and then at the ending, the bad guy had this cursed altometer and the devil was driving the car. Not like a really cool like CGI devil, just a guy in a black suit. And they're driving around. They're doing donuts in the desert. Somewhere in between. <laughs> somewhere in between. That was the final shot. The devil. Almost like a fever dream. Maybe this movie doesn't exist. Maybe I'm Randy. The devil's driving... I just gotta get started with the episode. <laughs> the devil's driving the car in the ending. And then about 20 minutes in is when that dude dematerializes. The whole movie, I guess, takes place in like a three-minute time period. The girl trying to solve the mystery as to where Randy went and how to uncurse the hex, how to get rid of the car, whatever. Ah, uh, whatever. I'm done talking about it now. I realize it was interesting, but it's kind of complicated to talk about. Anyways, um, I saw that movie, so thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for letting me <laughs> thanks for letting me talk about it. Nobody else wants to hear about that movie. Figured you might like it. Essie, go ahead and land this dead rabbit finally get started with the episode. Essie, go ahead and land this hair hang glider in the parking lot of this shopping mall. We're right outside a Sears department store. We're gonna walk on into it. Now, we don't have a location for this story. This is one of those stories where we don't have a location, we don't have a time period. We don't even have the name of the person. The person posted this anonymously. We're going to call him Sam. But if this story is true, this this is a pretty insane paranormal event. Sam, who uses the online name Four Door Two Seater, Sam used to work at a mall photo studio. You know those places you used to go to to get your picture taken before every single person had a phone in their pocket? You'd go in there and get your photo taken. That's how it used to be back in the day. And Sam used to work at one of these places. And when Sam is working there, he's told pretty early on that the place is haunted. And Sam says that this photo studio was set up. There was only really two main rooms to it. You had these two rooms. You had about seven different backdrops. So you would go in there and be like, hey, you're going to go take a photo for your grandma. Let's make it look like you're in Maui, because obviously your grandma's a huge idiot. She can't tell the difference between Maui and a backdrop at a mall photo center. You're pulling these backdrops down. A lot of people go in here to take photos of their kids. So you bring your kid in, and there's toys and stuffed animals that you can kind of, like, place around them. And the baby's like, ah, click. And then, there you go, send that to grandma. <laughs> you're like, what? I didn't know the baby was in Maui. 
so that was about it. It was fairly small. You also had a room in the back where they developed the film. So actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the story's probably pre-mid 2000s. I'm going to guess somewhere between the 90s and the 2000s is when the story takes place. But they developed the photos in their... I don't know, the story could have taken place yesterday in Alabama. But you have the photos... You have the photos taken and developed there while you wait. Maybe you could go get a churro and an orange Julius and swing back by, but you could leave with the photos that were taken. So, basic place. These were around all the time when I was a kid and a young adult. Sam was told this place was haunted, and Sam did realize it pretty quickly that, yeah, this place is haunted. Very, very by-the-book paranormal activity. There was no missing skydivers. It was just stuff... I swear that I left this toy tiger in room A, but it's weird. When I went to room B, the toy tiger was sitting in there. You'd have toys move from room to room. Or, that's weird, I remember we used the Maui backdrop for the last photo in room A, but then when I came back later, there was a different backdrop set up. Hmm, interesting. Now, you could account that for the fact that people are constantly changing backdrops, there's kids there, stuff's going to move from room to room. It would be easy to dismiss if you were a skeptic. But if you were working there and you knew you were the only one there, or it was just you and somebody else and they weren't in the room in that time period and stuff was moving from room to room, it would be also be easy to chalk up to paranormal activity. It would. This would be easy for both a skeptic and a believer in the paranormal to kind of get an argument over, right? Because it's stuff that could easily happen... With human interaction and you not realizing it. A customer changing the backdrop, a kid carrying the toy from one room to another. But if you believe in the paranormal, you could go and like, no, this stuff was happening when there was no one else in the building. No one else was changing this stuff. But fairly basic. Fairly, fairly basic things. Also, again, this is a staple of paranormal activity. Lights would turn on in rooms where there was nobody. Malfunctioning lights. You could chalk it up to stuff like that. Very, very standard stuff. Except for what I'm about to tell you. I actually was messaging four-door, two-seater online. I've never seen anything like this. I couldn't think of anything like this. In the realm of ghosts, at least. Let's take a look at this. This is fascinating. 20 minutes into the episode, let's get started. Sam and his manager were working at the photo studio one day when a teenage girl walks in. And she needs to get a passport photo taken. Pretty basic stuff. You take a bunch of photos, select the best one, make five copies of it, hand it to the customer, good to go. So they do that. The girl comes in. They put her on a stool. They have their basic backdrop. And 12 photographs are taken from about a few feet away. Click. 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 I'm not going to do 12 times. Multiply that by four. And then it's time to develop them. Hey, young lady, why don't you go get a churro and an orange Julius while we develop these pictures? So Sam and the manager go into the back room, the dark room, spookiest place to be, <laughs> spookiest place to be in a haunted photo studio. They're in the dark room to develop these photographs. And all of a sudden, Sam hears his manager gasp. <gasps> He turns to her and goes, what? What's, what's wrong? And the manager hands the negatives, the film negatives, over to Sam. Photo one is a picture of this girl 
sitting on a stool. The teenage girl, not like a spooky Annabelle girl. That's the first photo. Totally normal. That's exactly what Sam had expected it to look like. Second photo looks the same. Third photo looks the same. Variations in her facial expression. Maybe her shoulders are a little slumped. This is what this is why they take 12 of them, right? The first seven photos are of the young girl sitting on the stool. But Sam's continuing to look at these negatives and photo 8, 9, and 10. The girl is gone. In the photograph is just the wooden stool. Photo 11. Teenage girl sitting on a stool. Photo 12. Teenage girl sitting on a stool. When Sam posted this, he does address the possibility that it could be a malfunction in the camera, but what would be the malfunction? What would be the malfunction? I could understand if the photo was blurry or if a photo wasn't taken at all. Like, obviously, you need it's time to get a new camera, but the photo's there. Everything's there but the girl. And then you could say, well, it was a glitch because the remaining photos didn't have the girl. But there were three times that that click happened where something was photographed. Well, it's funny. I was about to say that wasn't there. But that's almost a misnomer. When we talk about ghostly photographs, normally what they are is someone takes a photograph of a hallway, and then when the film is developed, or when you look at your phone on your screen, there's something in the photo that wasn't there before. That's what common ghost photography is. I can't think of a time, and maybe you guys can correct me, I can't think of a time where a photograph was taken of something that was there that you could see with the naked eye that was a normal object. You're looking at a chair, an old antique chair at a Goodwill, and you want to send a photo to somebody. You take a picture of the chair, but then when you look at the photograph, everything else, everything else in that Goodwill is in the photograph except for the chair. And it's not that it's the chair is distorted. It's not like there's something blurry that's been added to the photograph. What you're seeing is something removed from the photograph that existed in reality. I can't think of another time that that's happened. And again, let me clarify this too. I'm not talking about a time where we have a story of somebody seeing a ghost walking down a hallway, taking a photograph and the photograph not appearing correctly. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you see your mom walking down the hallway, not a ghost mom, a real mom, and you take a photograph of her, and then when you look at the photograph later, it's just an empty hallway. Because that's what this seems to be. When I was talking to Sam online, they seemed to throw out the possibility that maybe the teenage girl was a ghost. Maybe she was a ghost all along. It's I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen something where two witnesses, right, are seeing something with their own eyeballs that should be real. Again, it's not like two people see a UFO in the sky and they take a photograph and you can't see the UFO in the photograph. I'm not talking because we know that that's already a bizarre event. This is just somebody walking in to get their photo taken. 
and then they cease to exist, and then they come back. There's actually so many different layers to this. It's not like they simply ceased to be, and then when they walked out, she had never been there before. Because actually, when I was talking to Sam about this online, they th- one of their theories was that she was a ghost, or the ghost of the photo store, which I think you could argue is possible. I don't I don't I didn't really go that direction because she showed back up in the photographs and they also gave her the photographs. They gave her copies of the photographs and she left. She like left the store. She didn't dematerialize and the photographs fall on the ground. Like she probably did go to Orange Julius. She probably did get a delicious treat. I can't think of a time where someone's dematerialized in a photo session. Now to be fair, I <laughs> we haven't covered a lot of photo sessions on this podcast. Or even in my independent research. But what I think happened, what my theory is, is that what was ever in that film studio was so powerful, it could manipulate the technology. At the very least. It was so powerful that you could take a photo of something that exists, not something imaginary, not something that could be a trick of the light, because that happens all the time in the world of paranormal. You think you see something walking down a hallway, you take a photograph, you look at the photograph, the hallway's empty. That's normal. This is a situation of your mom walking down the hallway, you taking a photograph, you look at the camera, it's an empty hallway. <laughs> your mom, your mom does a jump scare, she's right in your face. Time for dinner! That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Something real that ceased to exist for a couple moments in time and then it started existing again. So fascinating. And I thought it, I, if it was my theory, again, the story also could totally be made up, but my theory is that the ghost, at the very least, manipulated the technology of the camera to make the person cease to exist for three frames of film. And the reason why they would do that is almost as a flex. To do it to to show that they had that ability. The manager also said she had never seen anything like this before. She's never seen a glitch like this or even any haunting activity like this. So it would have been an ability for the ghost to show how powerful it was. That's theory one. Theory number two is actually far more disturbing. And if it is true, this would rank as one of the most powerful ghosts I would say on record. Because what is possible is as they were taking the photographs of this girl, the ghost literally made her disappear. It wasn't that she was blinked out of reality in the photographs. It was that the ghost made her blink out of reality in real life. Which would take a tremendous amount of energy. At that point... We're not talking about a ghost. We're talking about we're talking about alien powers at that point. Aliens can dematerialize people and rematerialize people and things like that. That's what we see in the lore. They can also materialize and dematerialize themselves. But I can't think of a time we do have we do cover stories of people dematerializing. That's what a lot of missing 411 is, is a kid walking around a berry bush and then they never see him again. Missing 411, although paranormal, never gets tied into the world of ghosts. Like, there are pretty firm power limits on way on the way we describe ghosts. So the fact that a ghost could dematerialize and then rematerialize somebody, you'd, you'd, you'd almost need a haunted skydiving technique to do that. 
fascinating story. I don't know. I wish I had more information like where this place... I mean, I say that, but I'm sure this place is shut down by now. I don't think there's many mall, mall photo studios still in operation. What a fantastic ghost story, though. I really hope it's true. It could be creepypasta. It was posted pretty recently by someone who just talks about other stuff online they weren't just writing about the paranormal. But... It's awesome ghost story like that would be one. I would rather go to this place because that's such a powerful ghost than go to the same old haunted insane asylum that everyone else goes to. I'm walking through. I'm all possessed by an insane person. I'm all boring. Take me to the photo studio. Fascinating ghost story. If it's true, it does transcend anything we know about ghosts. You'd be looking at demonic at that point or alien. And I think, again, whatever it was... It was flexing its power level. It wanted the people there to know how strong it truly was. Why? Who knows? Sam didn't work there for long. It wasn't because they were too scared to go back to work. They worked there for a couple weeks. I don't know what happened after that. Again, I'd like to have more information about this, but that's all the information we have so far. Terrifying story. If true, that is one of the most powerful ghosts I've ever read about or came across. S-E, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to those carpenter copters. Everyone strap it to your parachutes. S-E, take us up, up and away. We're leaving behind this mall photo studio. Take us all the way out to a bus stop. The year is 2007. And we're going to meet a seventh grader online. He goes by the name Nate W9731. We're just going to call you Nate. Just gonna call you Nate. Nate is a seventh grader, and recently his family moved. And he says, We didn't move out of the area. I still attended the same middle school that I'd been going to, but we moved farther away from the school itself. So we're still in the district, we're just farther away. So I had to start taking the bus to school. And Nate explains that he's kind of a shy kid in general, and now that he's thrust onto this bus, this school bus. He's already shy, since he just started riding the school bus, he doesn't have any friends on the bus. He hasn't made any friends, so it's kind of a double whammy, right? He doesn't have any friends, he's too shy to make some. And he says the bus, in general, was pretty rowdy. So that made him withdraw even more, because now he's completely out of his element, he doesn't know any of these people, and they're a bunch of crazy people. So on this particular day, back in 2007, he walks to the back of the bus, he gets on, and it loads up with all these really noisy kids that he doesn't even know. The bus leaves school. The bus has left school, and it's not far. It's not far from school. Only about a mile, he estimates. The bus is only about a mile from school, and it comes to a stoplight. This is a classic yellow school bus, so it sits really high. So Nate, sitting in the very back, he can look out and he can look into other people's cars. And they're at this red light. The bus has stopped at this red light. And next to the bus is an old 80s era Ford pickup truck. There's two guys sitting in the truck. And Nate says, if I had to guess, they look like father and son. One of them was in their 50s, early 60s. The other one seemed to be in his 30s. I'm looking into this truck. 
seeing these two dudes sitting there. The driver, who's the older one, has both of his hands on the steering wheel. He's staring straight ahead. The passenger is sitting there, also staring straight ahead, his hands in his lap. And there's just a weird look to their faces. Nate's looking at these two guys. There's just something weird, something very emotionless about them. And they're just staring straight ahead. In between the two men, Nate sees a stack of what he believed was folded blankets. It's a stack of folded blankets. Could have been towels, could have been rags, could have been anything, but a stack of folded blankets between the two men. And he goes, the stack of the blankets, the fabric, was about as high as the men's chest. So maybe about like two feet, you know, they're sitting down, probably about like two feet high of these blankets, neatly folded up. Nate's looking at these two men. He's looking at the blankets. And his eyes just kind of scan down as he's looking into this car. He's looking down this pile of blankets. Until he sees, nestled in between the neatly stacked blankets and the seat of the pickup truck, is the severed head of a woman. Now, Nate, even now, you know, this story happened in 2007, he's having a hard time coming to terms with what he saw. Such a shock. But he 100% remembers looking down the blankets and seeing this head. And he goes, I knew it was a woman's head. He goes, if anything, it was a young a young woman. He goes, I'm looking out the school bus window and I see the severed woman's head. And it is completely pale, as if it's been drained of blood. But the worst part about it, the part that he can't get out of his head, was the look on her face. He said this woman's eyes were wide and her mouth was locked in an eternal scream. This severed woman's head sitting underneath a pile of blankets. And Nate is so shocked by what he's looking at, he actually begins to look around the bus. He has this crippling shyness that won't let him yell out, Guys, look, look! He doesn't know anyone. There's no one he can turn to. There's no one he can tap on the shoulder. And the kids are crazy anyways. They're so rambunctious. The bus is full of noise right now. He's hoping another kid sees it. A braver kid, a louder kid, looks over and sees this woman's head. But no one does. Nate just sits there and doesn't say a word. The light turns green. The bus makes a left. The pickup truck continued on its journey. And to this day, Nate questions exactly what he saw. It's an interesting story. You know, it's funny because Nate, when he posted this, seemed to think that this could have been paranormal, which it very well could have been. There are things that I've seen personally seen. I'll try to find the episodes, put them in the show notes. There are things that I've seen 
that when you look at something that isn't real, that doesn't make sense, and I'm not talking about like it's a your imagination or something like that, you're psychotic. I'm talking about when you see any sort of ghostly activity that shouldn't be, your brain can create a false image to cover up the impossible. So, for example, let's say you came home. Let's say you came home and you have a kid. And your kid was floating in air. That's impossible. That's impossible unless your kid's Casper. That's impossible. Your kid can't float in the air. So what would happen... It doesn't happen all the time. But what could happen is you would come home and you would see your kid floating in the air. And you knew that would be impossible. And it's almost like a little bit of a glitch. Well, you can't comprehend what you're looking at. But what would happen is, let's say maybe three or four years later, you may go, hey, remember that time when Billy was balancing on three basketballs? And people are like, what are you talking about? And they're like, no, I remember one day I came home and Billy was balancing on three basketballs. And it's completely impossible. That's, that's equally impossible. But it's more plausible than your kid floating. That type of stuff does happen. So sometimes when we look at super bizarre memories that just don't make sense, we can look at a paranormal answer for those things. So I can see where Nate's coming from, where he's saying that it's possible that what I saw was actually something paranormal that shouldn't have existed and my brain was processing it in that way. His logic behind that was there was no blood. There was no blood. I'm looking at the severed head, but there was no blood in the car. It wasn't dripping out any sort of blood. If it was a real severed head, there would have been blood. He also does, to be fair, he does also bring up that it could have been a prank, that it could have been a Halloween prop as well. It's possible. Those are all definitely possible. I don't think this was a paranormal event, though. It actually would make sense, these series of events... That would make this a true crime tragedy. For one, when you decapitate somebody, the head itself doesn't contain a ton of blood. While your brain needs blood and your your skin needs blood and all this stuff, and you need oxygen in your head, that's true. But it doesn't contain... It's. I know it has a lot of blood. It has a lot of blood as compared to maybe your fingers. But you could drain a human head quicker than you could you know, drain a human leg. It doesn't contain a lot of blood to begin with. You actually, when you decapitate someone, you could drain the blood out of a head fairly quickly. So the head not bleeding isn't a sign that it's paranormal, too. We don't know the situation here, right? It looked like it was a young woman's head here. So if you really were transporting a young woman's head, why would you transport it in that way, in between the two people? with the blankets stacked up on top of it. The blankets would make sense to cover up the sight of the head for anyone who was driving by in a normal-sized car. You know, no one would think that the bus is elevated, that there's a chance that you might come next to a school bus. Criminals aren't... They're not, they don't have a lot of foresight. That's generally why they get caught. But that would make sense. They're going to cover it up. But you go, why didn't they just put it in a box? It's super interesting because when we do look at criminals... They do, not all of them, right? There's a lot of monsters out there, but most criminals were ordinary people up until the crime. They may have drug problems, gambling problems, things like that, but for the most part, they're ordinary people before the crime was committed, and you 
have all your normal superstitions and normal traditions and beliefs. Just because you've murdered someone doesn't, you don't go, well, I guess I'm not Southern Baptist anymore. No, you're just a Southern Baptist who murdered somebody. I could see if this victim was somebody that they knew that they wouldn't want to throw the head in a tackle box. It feels very disrespectful. It is an interesting quirk of crime, but you will that you know you bury bodies after crimes for two reasons: one, to hide the evidence, but two, also because you don't want the body picked at by scavengers. You don't. You knew this person. You knew this person. You guys hung out for years and years, and then a drug deal went bad. He ripped off a bunch of money from you. You can't let that stand, otherwise everyone will rip off money from you. So you do have to kill this guy, but you don't want him eaten by the rats in the alleyway. So you could, I could see that happening. I could see them not throwing her head in a tackle box and those eyes wide staring into the darkness as it rumbles back and forth across the flatbed of the truck. I could see them wanting to have some sense of grace some sense of compassion for this head. The number one reason why I think this is a real head, and again, the story could totally be made up. This could be creepy boss, so that was posted. But the reason why out of all of this that I think it was a, a real head was a detail that Nate said. Because while this detail isn't impossible to make up, most people don't think of it this way. Most people don't think of things like this. A violent death is a violent death. In the movies, people get shot, they fall down, they die. People get hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat, they fall down and they die. Or if it's the hero, he just goes, ouch. But in reality, killing someone's extremely violent. You start off trying to strangle somebody, and then three and a half minutes later, the person's still alive, you grab the claw hammer. That's generally how it happens. Unless you come with your own murder weapon... And even then, you know, stuff can go south. Guns jam, knives break off. People go to houses with like a steak knife that's used to cut steak. And now they're trying to stab someone in the ribcage with it. It's not going to work. I mean, it does. It actually does work. But the chance of a malfunction goes up because it's not designed for combat. It's not designed to go into a human. A violent death is extremely violent. It's an extremely violent way to go. If you ask the average person, what would a severed head look like if you chopped a head off? You're, most people are just going to immediately think of something they had seen in the Haunted Mansion down in Disneyland or something they'd seen in a movie or like a guillotine type movie. Head gets chopped off. It's a pretty clean cut. Head rolls around in the basket, right? Draw a picture of a chopped off head. And that is pretty accurate. When you chop... When you chop a head off in combat, when you chop a head off while you're fighting someone, it's not a clean line. But if you are doing it post-mortem, you can make it fairly clean. I've seen quite a few severed heads in my life because uh, my father used to own a crematory, and that was my summer job. So when you find these bodies that have been chopped up, they're pre it's a pretty even cut. It's a pretty even cut. I'm not saying you could put... I'm not saying that you could put a bubble level on it and it'd be perfect, but a detail that most people would miss. If you want, if I said, show me the severed head of a murder victim, if I wanted you to draw a picture of that, if I wanted you to just describe a severed head of a murder victim to me, 
One of the key details that I think a lot of people would leave out, and it's a key detail that Nate said, it's something that he observed, this image has been with him all these years, was that the woman's head was missing teeth. That is very common in a violent crime, and it's not something that most people would associate. If I asked you to picture a severed head, or draw me a picture of a severed head, very few people would draw that picture with teeth missing. But it is, I mean, teeth get knocked out in fights all the time. Teeth get knocked out in sports all the time. So when you're trying to murder somebody, teeth will break. Teeth will break, teeth will shatter. If it's a fight, if you're trying to strangle someone, again, it takes a long period of time. It's a very, very violent death. You're trying to hold someone down. You go, well, we're just going to drown her in a bathtub. And as you're getting her head to go in there, her jaw hits the rim of the bathtub. She's going to break teeth. It's super common for a murder victim to not have all of their teeth in their face. It's not something you hear about a lot because we, most people see the depiction of violence that they see. They're not seeing it on real life. And if they're not seeking it out in gore videos, they see what they see in Hollywood. So the fact that this, the head was missing teeth makes me think he saw a real severed woman's head. And these people, we don't know what happened. We don't know who the woman was. We don't know where they went. We don't know if these people were ever caught. We don't know if they were locals. There's so many questions about this story, but I do believe that head was real. If the story's real, if these details that Nate wrote are real, I think that was a real head. If it's creepypasta, it's creepypasta. I apologize for wasting your time. But it's a terrifying story. It's a, such a terrifying story because in the end, you know, when we, if we suffer a violent death, I think the most we want is to be remembered and to be avenged. It's just such a tragic story, right? You can imagine this young woman in the last moments of her life not wanting to die, obviously, fighting for her life. That's why she would have lost some teeth in the first place. And then as she's dying, praying that she gets some justice, praying that these men don't get away with killing her. But when that light turned green, and that little boy sat there on that bus, too shy to say anything, they did get away with it. We don't know for how long. They could have been arrested. Like I said, they could have been arrested the next day. They could still be out there. This could have been a one-off murder that was committed over drugs or jealousy or something like that. Or these guys could have been budding serial killers. We don't know. And I'm not blaming Nate, right? He's a, he's in seventh grade. He's a shy kid. I'm not blaming Nate. But it's just kind of a sad story and a creepy one at the same time. Who was the girl? Why was she killed? Who were the men? Are they still out there? We'll never have any answers to any of those questions. All we can hope is that whatever happened, even though we don't know who that young girl is, there's someone out there who does remember her. That she didn't live her entire life just to be forgotten. Just to become a story posted on the internet. Just to become a screaming head tucked under some blankets in an old Ford pickup.
deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.